0: Damn it, Nick.
1: I love being on here with you guys, Nick and Joe. I really appreciate it. Literally too long, didn't rate. TLDR, you guys are awesome. All right, Joe. So we are doing it again. We have a pair of creators on to talk with us this week. And you actually, we, we were connected to the studio. We talked to them a little bit about getting these guys on, but you had been communicating with one of these creators previously to get a look at the book that we're talking about today. Who are we talking to? What book are we talking about, Joe? Well... Twitter
2: or X, or whatever you want to call it, can be a, a pretty slimy place. But the cool mm. thing is you could still slide into people's DMs. <laughs> and when I saw uh, one of our guests say, slide to my DMs for an advanced copy of this book, I couldn't have slid any faster. Now, it seems as though we are exclusively only a, a tag team creator podcast now at this point. Yeah. I think the last few chats we had have all been with... with, with yep. um, uh, books with with multiple writers but today i'm very excited to to welcome uh to the program tim daniel and david db Andre uh to talk about their upcoming book morning star uh from mad cave guys how you doing
1: great thanks for having us of thank course. you for thank you for joining us and yeah a quick little actually before we get into the synopsis the artists on this series marco Finnegan, colorist jason Wardle. i'm sorry is a Wordy, correct? Wordy. Yeah. Yes, Wordy. Wordle okay, is a the game there, Nicholas. Yeah, if I, if I could read my own, the, the freaking <laughs> typing, I put, I freaking wrote it down. Uh, and The letter is Justin and The FOC on Morningstar from Mad Cave is at, is on February 25th. So make sure you guys go to your local comic shop. Right, before you even listen to any more of this, just go to your local comic shop or give them a buzz. Let them know you want Morningstar on your pull list right now. Uh, as for the synopsis, let's see if I can get through this show and do a little better than you've done in the past. 1956. Oh, geez, I'm already screwed here. Kootenai? Kootenai? Is that how we say it, guys? Kootenai. Yeah. Kootenai National Forest, Montana. When smoke jumper Nathan Garrett perishes in a raging wildfire, his surviving family hopes. Ah, there we go. His surviving family's hopes and happiness turn to ashes. Now, one year following Nathan's death, wife and mother of two, Jolene Garrett takes her crumbling family to the Morningstar lookout, seeking solace through closure to scatter her husband's remains. We'll, we'll cut it off there because I'm going to keep fucking this thing up. If I, uh, if I, I, I go over my
2: seven-year-old to daughter to read this,
3: it would have been yeah, so
1: then, And then, like I say, spooky things happen. <laughs> yes. 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 That's it. <laughs> That's all you need to know. This is why we read picture books. This is what That's what it comes right. down to. Yeah. But...
2: Uh, also, one thing I want to address real quickly this is the first ever multi doctor podcast we have done. Oh, I believe yeah. this is true. right. This Chiropractors is true. versus physical therapists. Go oh, no well. head to head <laughs> on TLDR.
3: I'll stretch you, and you're like, I'll crack you. Yeah. I, I'm, technically not a, I'm technically not a doctor. When I went to school, it was only a master's degree. So you have the doctor above me. So, quote unquote, I I would put
2: that heavy (laughs) parenthesis.
3: Oh, yeah, the right. difference between the physical therapy master's and a doctorate is one semester. Right. Oh wow! And about <laughs> at about seventy thousand dollars in in uh, student yeah. loans. So I'm well, glad I got out when I did. <laughs> oh man, that's but
2: but funny. yeah, v- very excited for you guys, and also go Niners uh, for you, Tim, as well. We are rooting our. By the time you're listening to this, hopefully this is a a Niners celebration podcast um, as well. But. Um, what I saw I can't remember who posted. I think it was david who who had said if you want to go check out an early advance go go slide into Tim's dms um uh, and I, I like i said before I'm so thankful that I did because I read this and it's funny when you read books uh like for the first time like first issues like they either they either grab you right at the beginning or they 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 grab you right at the end and a lot of time it's that hook at the end that pulls you in that makes you want to go grab the the second book but it was about halfway through and i said yes i love everything about this book i love the writing i love the aesthetic this, mm. this 1950s sort of old school comic feel to it plus you know it you know um the artist there uh bop 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 geez marco, uh marco, Mar- marco. marco right does a tremendous job at sort of giving you that 1950s vibe to the book so i knew right away this was going to be something awesome and Then you get to the end, and you just go, Holy shit, didn't see that coming. Yeah. How did you guys come together uh, to write this story and sort of where
0: you know did it come from?
3: Okay. <clears throat> go, Tim,
0: go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. This has a story of its own, a legend of its own, a myth of its own. It's over 10 years old now, and it oh. it, it survived a couple of different scrapes with different publishers. Um and, you know, at the time it wasn't written, it was just, you know, a pitch. Uh, and then that pitch went into, you know, the grave. And then the great resuscitator, uh, D.B. Andre came along and, and we started our sort of collaboration 2019, right, D.B.? Yeah. And we just started um, kind of rummaging, you know, both both creating fresh and new and then rummaging through our own, you know, uh, dead files. and. Um, you know, that, those are the things that kind of were there at the time. So um, Morningstar began as just a simple pitch, dead pitch. Um, Ten years later, uh, DB and I dug it out and we just went all in on it and, you know, took it to Mad Cave as part of a multi-pitch package and um, it did the trick. So it leaves the charge for what will be eventually multiple books.
2: Ooh, oh
3: shit
1: multi-pitch yeah. yeah so uh... spoilers <laughs> well, and and
3: and really there actually was some art no marco marco finnegan had been attached from the beginning so tim and marco had circled around this thing for 10 years and it's the kind of thing where they both kind of thought oh well that's never going to happen and then you know mad came came along and said yeah let's make this happen so that's when like i get to dive in and take all of Tim's hard work and chop it up into little (laughs) bits and put it back together. And, (laughs) and then it becomes a, it becomes a new, like our thing, you know, and uh, he had quite a bit of the idea, you know, definitely uh, the the core of the story. Uh, And I think I came in and just kind of like put some decorations on the tree and, uh, and, and focused a little bit on character. And we kind of messed around with the ending a little bit. Um, to come up with something that was like satisfactory, um, and kind of uh, brings it all home and has the right tone, and uh, yeah, so this is this is you know those you know work is never wasted. I don't think because you, you do the work on something and you love it enough and it'll keep coming back to you.
2: <laughs> so yeah, how I mean, much different? Oh, sorry to catch up, but how much different is it from the, its original pitch to sort of where
0: it is now? Um, I mean, it it is, it is in essentially it is what it is. It is Mm. what it was then. It is what it is now. Um, very similar in a sense, but you know, with all things that DB and I have done, there's just a depth to it now, you know, there's a richness to the characters. There's a dynamic between them. Um, there's a couple of twists that DB introduced probably around issue three or four. That I would have never thought of, uh, and I didn't. Um, and so, it's it's essentially the same, fundamentally the same, spiritually the same. It's just it's deeper, richer, more thoroughly realized because we brought you know we brought our own sensibilities to this. And if you've read Resonant, you know what to expect from family dynamics. You know what to expect from young characters with DB's work. Or yeah, exactly. if you've read
3: if you've read the plot, the same can be said about Tim's stuff. So, <laughs> you know, we have we have similar, like, I think uh, maybe not back backgrounds, but a similar desire to examine family in our work, um, through through maybe, you know, our our unperfect families that we grew up with, um, that I think everybody grows up with, but I think um We really like to examine family, so you'll see it in a lot of our works, either an actual biological family or a found
1: family, Um, and that's kind of a really, it's going to be a common thread in everything we do. We definitely have some questions about the Garrett family, especially the extended family that we get to know a little oh, bit. The in this first, yep. you know, oh, the version. Oh, man. But actually funny enough that you bring up those two titles too because uh, Joe actually – so what we, guys, what we do guys when we don't have guests on in our normal – I get what we call our mainline episodes, we will talk about books that the other person has not read. So Joe actually very early on in our show's history talked about – a resident on this show, uh, and, and then I was introduced to you, Tim, by uh, the plot over at Vault, which actually I I bought well before my honeymoon, but then went and read it on my honeymoon, and I only had the first volume, and I was you know parts <laughs> unknown, and I was like, I need the freaking rest of this shit. <laughs> so it made my honeymoon even better, but also made me like wanting to get back home. Um, but I'm anyway- sure that's
2: what Tim wanted to hear it was an integral part of your honeymoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: I mean, uh, wow, Joe! Way to make it like that. Who but gets to be
3: the bog monster tonight?
1: <laughs> I'm, gonna,
0: I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say for a honeymoon, it's a very fitting book because that's the right. Book is in order to receive first, you must give. So I'm. Just gonna,
3: <laughs> isn't there a honeymoon <laughs> that's in a that in plot. the plot? Isn't there like? Is that there's the a wet first- night or there's definitely a the, the like. The, Fortieth birthday party with Charles? Oh, that's Trump. right. It's the birthday party. And his wife okay. went... And it's, you know, it's a momentous occasion,
0: and there's mm.
1: there's going to be some things happening there. Yeah. yeah. There's a fucked up love story in there, too, that was very unsettling. It definitely made me, like, when the lights went off, ugh, fuck. And it wasn't even <laughs> the Bog Monster shit. Well, it wasn't really... That's for damn sure. But man yeah, we're talking about all these uh, this different the family <laughs> dynamics before we even get into to any of that too to bring it back to Morningstar, I, I'm curious the the title of smoke jumper. I mean I feel like I can kind of like kind of like I, when we saw uh, Nathan in in his job and in his environment kind of got an idea of what that is. but at the same time like what the hell is a smoke jumper? why is like are you guys is this something you're familiar with Tim that you brought to the table originally?
0: Yeah. I mean, we have, um, I live in Missoula, Montana, right? So, you know, like some of parts of California now where DB's at, you're kind of surrounded by annual wildfires, not a good thing. However, you start to get familiar with those things. And through this area, we, the state of Montana funnels a lot of our smoke jumpers to California, to Colorado. Um, and you'll see them in, in, you know, almost in caravans sometimes like the military. Um, and so, you know, you can go out to dinner, there they are, and they're, they're filthy, man. They're, they're smoky, they're, they're sooty, they've come off a front line, um, where they're fighting a uh a, a, excuse me, a wildfire. And so, summers, um, and late fall, or early fall here, you know, something that's kind of almost an annual occurrence. And, you know, y- you start to see that. And we have a training base that's not too far away. Uh, about two and a half miles from a house. And you can just go and see what they have to do and the repelling ropes, climbing, s- much of the rigorous uh, activities they have to do. But the real kicker was the visual aspect to it when the smoke jumper program was started post World War II. Um, that's it, fit nicely with the time period. And the hmm. smoke jump. they just looked like astronauts, aliens. They, you know, they looked like something out of a completely different reality, the way they were costumed uh, or uniformed and helmeted. And so there was this visual aspect to it that I thought was really, really cool.
1: Yeah, I, 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 get, I get what you're saying there. Like I see, I see that all now, like as I'm at, thinking back on Morningstar, that's interesting. Okay, cool. So and it, was, it was fun be, for me
3: because then that made Nathan a vet and that brought in a lot of the family stuff too mm. because he was constantly leaving his family going on missions and now he's still kind of doing the same thing and and you'll see some of that that come in and issue two Um, uh, this kind of like hey he's he's always absent always absent and that made jolene uh kind of a stronger central figure in the family
1: mm.
2: yeah that's it's wild you guys mentioned that because i i reread the the story again today to get ready for this and one of the things that I missed the first time reading it, and, and maybe it's because I've been rewatching Band of Brothers, uh, but you know, the, the uh, you mentioned Best Stone uh, at the beginning of the story, uh, and with this book taking place in the the early mid nineteen fifties, you know, the events from World War II, uh, I was like, oh, you know, I, that really kind of you know, I, it got my attention. Why did you want to sort of write this story centered
0: around that sort of time period? Um. Uh, I'll just say my motivation, and by the way, that's a that touch of taking Nathan and making him a vet, and then giving him that backstory, and and how nicely it dovetails. That's a perfect example of a DB touch that was not part of the original. Pitch. Nathan wasn't that man, but how perfect it works at the time period. The reason for the time period was I'm I'm not a fan of modern storytelling where everything can be solved by the phone and I, mm-hmm. to I see this family in a place where they you know the there's not really a tagline for this book there's more of like a, a coda and that is right no no electricity no yeah. phones right no escape no no transportation no escape and that's i think stories were more interesting when we couldn't solve things technologically and that was my own personal motivation for, for that setting and time period Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because it, it really does give a sense of foreboding and, and a sense of dread, and I think adds to that suspense where we kind of are left at you know at the end of the the first issue. Uh, one of the other things that fascinates me too is now we we again, as I mentioned before, we've the last several you know interviews that or chats that we've done have been with writing teams and and, and multiple you know people you know uh, writing a book, and so we're always fascinated how two you know uh two different voices can come together and write such a cohesive story that sounds as if it's one voice how long have you two sort of been working together and what was that process of of writing this book uh for you guys
3: well yeah i think it was like tim said earlier i think around 2019 um you know i had done resonant and and tim had done a bunch of books and um I think we were both kind of in an area of frustration. You know, I, I felt, I felt that like um, resident didn't really open any doors for me. Like, I you know, should have. And, and I thought it was good and it got a fairly good response and it was, you know, you know, not breaking any sales records, but I thought it was well-written and, and really didn't do much um, for me that way. And I'm, you know, writing pitches and getting rejections and, um yeah i was kind of uh maybe circling around like giving up you know Hmm. um or at least taking a step back because you know you can you commit your nights and weekends for so long Hmm. um you know you give up a lot of free time and stuff to do to write you know because it's not a fast (laughs) even as fast (laughs) as i am it's not a fast process Uh, and Tim just like out of the blue, I think said we should work on something together. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I could ride these coattails far. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, that's how Nick feels about me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I get someone more successful for you from than you that to help you out is always uh good advice. So, Hmm. yeah, so we you know, we started just you know, we, we threw it back a couple of times and yeah, let's work on something, and he's like. I asked him, what do you got to, what do you got to work on? He says, Oh, nothing. Tim has 600 things to work on <laughs> that if he wanted to pull stuff, he's still, we've been working together for almost four or five years now. He still's like, well, I got this pitch and I've never heard anything about it. Okay. <laughs> so it, he always has more ideas than any other human on the planet. Uh, but he kind of was, playing hard to get I guess and said I don't really have anything what do you want to work on and and he said I'll work on anything other than fantasy and I said well I got this idea for this fantasy story (laughs) and uh and from there we 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 had a five-hour conversation and and built end after end almost in one full conversation um and we just naturally fell into a working rhythm and I know like if you've ever riffed with a friend about an idea you know you're like oh wouldn't it be cool if this happened and this happened you know and and people just do that i think naturally our our riffing became our writing style and it just it's literally the easiest i always tell people we each do the easy part for ourselves (laughs) so i i do the part i like he does the part he likes and it's we we fit perfectly together because that's both the part the other person doesn't like. (laughs) (laughs) So usually Tim will give me the big idea. Like this is what the idea is. And we kind of work through it together. We'll have long conversations and kind of figure out beginning, middle and end, or at least enough of the beginning that I can start writing and I'll do what's called a vomit draft and I'll just start writing and, and I'll put the dialogue in, as i'm writing you know it's basically like hey this happens this person's here and then they say this and it's it's an unscripted script uh, basically it's a it's a it's not it's way more detailed than an outline so it's just like this draft where i don't worry about panels and pages and just say this happens and i don't know it's going to be a cool thing over here and then they say this because uh, i really like the dialogue part so i get that done and i think the dialogue probably changes what Tim like 10% from that draft to the actual script. And, and I'll write either an issue's worth, or sometimes five issues worth of that. And then I give it to Tim, and he goes and makes it good. So he goes and like, adds detail and, and like, figures out, oh, this is a good place for a twist, or we can add this character here. And, and takes time to like, figure all this stuff out and then when it's ready he gives it back to me and i script it and then i give it back to him and he again makes it good and then that's (laughs) we repeat until we're done (laughs) it's it's
0: been like it's been a
3: very organic process yeah we never really discussed it it's just like hey this is how it works
0: no plan and that's the i think that's coming through I think that's really starting to take hold, especially now with these these next several books we have, and then what what comes afterwards. Um, it feels like the <clears throat> the organic nature of the process is now paying off in the material itself. And well, I think we're just we're starting to discover things. And that's the coolest feeling. This past weekend was a great example of that, where you know, Friday we, we worked through almost an entire piece. And I think on Sunday, we might have somehow just stumbled into working through a piece. Maybe it was Saturday night. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And it was just two random calls of like left field ideas. And, you know, DB's, uh, you know, to his credit, he's very uh, kind and tolerant because I, <laughs> he's, he's telling you the nuts and bolts. But the real, I, I told him this this past week, the real truth is I call him up and say crazy shit. And then he goes you you can keep thinking of ideas <laughs> <laughs> well and cuz here's the
3: thing i this is now this Sorry. is how we, this is how i actually describe it tim is a machine gun of ideas and i get to be the sniper i'm like he's like <laughs> i'm like point that one <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because i know if i if i shut down one of his ideas 20 more are on the way that, <clears> that <throat> he'll never run out of them and uh, for example, we had the Creep Show, our Creep Show short uh, that came mm-hmm. out um, in January, uh, issue five, volume two. Pick up Creep Show at your local comic yeah. shop. Nice. Uh, and and so when we got the opportunity to pitch for that, they're like, "Give us like three things or two, give us two ideas or three ideas, something like that." And I sat there for like two days, and I came up with one idea. And so we had like a scheduled phone call. I'm like, well, Tim, I got one idea. And he's like, well, I got these 10. I'm like, all (laughs) right, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) And so like each one's like banger, 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 banger. And like, we'll like, we're like, let's not pitch this one. And let's turn this one into a book instead, you know? And I'm like, yeah. And this is all new stuff. This was nothing he had, you know, he has files upon files upon files of ideas and concepts and pitches and you know, Tim is, a, is, you know, one of the best, if not the best logo designer and graphic designers in comics. You know, he makes all the logos for pretty much all the Vault books and even Mad Cave books and Oni books and whatever other books are out there. They A lot of times if he goes, that's a cool logo, that's a Tim Daniel logo. <laughs> so damn, he, huh. he, he usually will attach some kind of visual reference too. And as soon as he can lock into a visual he's in the story. Like if we start talking about stuff and he's like, Oh, hold on a sec. And he'll do some Photoshop magic. And he's like, Oh, what about this? And they'll send me that. I'm like, yeah. And as soon as he locks into something visual, uh, then he's hooked.
0: Damn, that's And that's strength on strength, because from that, that is the key integral piece of the process, which is I've got to see it. And so I, since I spent, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, just absorbing visuals, like, to me, it's just a key component of, look, it's what we do, right? It's what we it's what we write. It's what we enjoy. It's all visual. It's a visual medium. You better have something to hold on to. And so it's strength on strength because from that key visual, that idea begins to grow. And then I get to know those characters, you know, the family of Denizen in Nightfall Double Feature, Richard, Helene, Lily, Maya, and Brian. I get to know them through DB and then i can i have this real luxury of looking at what he's given me i just went through five scripts the other day to form basically reverse engineer the outline from his scripts to say this is this is the series mm-hmm. and i can look at that whole tapestry and see the possibilities and and we have that luxury of looking at it from that distance that height and then coming back together again and really digging
3: in and i get to know all those people through db and and Tim is super detail oriented and he'll do research and look stuff up i hate all that crap <laughs> i'm like if i can't think of it in 10 seconds i'm like i don't know it's a thing and then keep on going i am uh my 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 benefit is or my kind of quality is speed i can get you know i can i can uh, get a five issue series like roughed out in uh, you know a week or a couple of days sheesh um, uh, it's uh, true <laughs> but i may not come up with any of the characters names it'll be like dude one <laughs> dude two you know lady uh main character uh, there's a lot of mcs in my in my in my script because it's like i don't know main character he's got a Hamerside. name whatever yeah. <laughs> and tim's like he'll be thinking like for days it's like I don't know about this name i want this and like it's got to all mean something to him which is great i'm like go do your thing
1: i'm like i'm gonna work on the next thing <laughs> so 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 db you go when you're writing your scripts in general whether it's with tim or by yourself like you that's how you your your processes you don't have the names that you, you eventually figure that out at some point later on.
3: Usually during like the vomit draft stage, I, I, I don't worry about that. If I don't have names yet, if Tim hasn't given me names or if I haven't thought of a name or I'll just, it'll be like, you know, a friend or a sister or, you know, whoever, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, Oh, it's time for Chris to have a character. So my friend, Chris gets a character (laughs) like, yeah. So I'm, this is part of the episode where I asked for a doc character. There you go. Next <laughs> yeah. book.
1: Next book, we'll have a doc character. Done. <laughs> so, uh, t- so, Tim, if you are writing it, it's something by yourself, can you do, work in that same manner, or do you have to have names for these individuals as you're starting telling that story?
0: Yeah, DB knows the sad truth of this. If I don't know their name, I don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that that's one thing that db's really helped me with like i said i get to know these characters through reading what he's done whether it's an outline or a script at script level on uh, you know on a pass and I, as soon as i know their name and what that name signifies or means i start to really get a sense then of the visual of of you know who wh- who are they what do they want what are they doing what do they hope to accomplish what are they afraid of um, so it's often the name that really triggers me. Now, for wow. example,
3: our, the book coming after Morningstar, it, mm-hmm. it has a pretty big cast of characters. And I have a hard time keeping a lot of characters in my head. Um, so what I did is I went through and I wrote what what defines that person as far as when they make decisions. Exactly. like. Uh, are they a fear are, are they doing it out of self-preservation or fearfulness or are they a leader or are they you know um selfish and and I went through and i put each each character this is this is their thing there are you know they're curious or they're anxious and so it helps me drive all their decisions and their reactions to people and what I just need the characters, voice i need the character and a lot of times it'll be based on what i think their background is how old they are what their life experiences have been where they're coming from in this story like what's you know how they get into this situation and 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 who they are at their core at their core are they brave are they cowardly are they intelligent do they you know they trust on their brains to make decisions or their gut to make decisions and I'll have all that, and I won't know their
1: name. <laughs> <laughs> shit number one. Yes. <laughs> so, oh man, that's great. I, I totally, I totally get how that that like that is your process, and I get why all of that is even more important. But I find it fascinating that like you still the the name thing. It's just I, I feel like I'd need to have at least. Like a, a tentative name, right? not just main character one or dipshit two, um, <laughs> but that's 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 really cool. Like we, that, that's the kind of stuff that Joe and I always want to learn about is writers' processes and artist processes too. And speaking of that too, we haven't uh, we've only touched a little bit on. Marco Finnegan and for that matter, Jason Wordy, who's, don't call me Wordle, excuse me, Um, <laughs> who I want to, I do want to ask about both. We them, made or,
2: a mistake getting an artist's name wrong once. So we don't want to
1: repeat that. <laughs> uh, but with, with Marco's style, it, I, as Joe said before, it plays perfectly with the era of this story that are set in. And I know that uh, DB or, or Tim, you said that you were originally partnered up with uh, Marco before you were working with DB. Um, I'm just curious, like, what was it about his line work that drew you to him to, to write this story, draw the story?
0: It's pretty simple. I mean, for me, it was immediate and simple. Marco is a student of of this medium. He, he's a student of the Masters. Um, and so I think we, you know, first and foremost, we shared a mutual appreciation for Alex Toth. And, you know, Marco, Marco has a line that is just reminiscent of, of those masters of, of a different time. And so it just seemed like, you know, it's like, you want to do a bit of cinematography. You want to do a bit of art direction. You want to do a bit of like set design and you want to, you want things to, I want things to feel a certain way. You know, the, the, the book should feel like the thing. Mm. Right. So I, I always feel like it adds to the experience. Rich is the experience for the reader. It shows a level of care. And so naturally, looking at Marco's work, it just made perfect sense. And I think Marco, you know, not to speak on his behalf, but about him, I think he shares a certain sensibility with DB and I in that, you know, um, we're, we're all kind of grinders. You know, we're not the biggest name. We're not name over the title, guys. We're not going to sell books on the basis of our last names alone. We're working hard. And and I that I found that personally very appealing about Marco, uh, a family man who kind of understood the dynamics involved in this story, but it was this line that really did it. Just a simple, evocative line with deep black shadows. It just felt that it was just enough of a touch of horror too for this mm. book, because it's not it's not horror per se. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I I remember looking at this the first time, and like I said, it, it gives you that I think aesthetic that you're driving for that that sort of old school comic feel, that 1950s vibe. I I also like it made me think of um, Jacob Phillips and that Texas blood, like that kind of I, gritty isn't the right word, but there is there's something about it that just kind of like it pulls you, and you know you're kind of you know looking at something that that's that's Older than what it really is um and i and i absolutely love that aesthetic and i think you're right it it it, it fits and marries with uh the story so well a question that I, I wanted to ask i'm going to sort of rephrase it a little bit because you, you kind of touched upon it a bit but um it's a question that's sort of i don't know why i haven't asked previous co-writers before but <laughs> like you guys talked about how you know how you 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 you've been writing together, and how all that comes just—it's just so organically for you. But I've never thought about who gets to pick the artistic direction, you know, for the Tim. book that you two are co-writing. Tim, we-
3: always Tim. <laughs> That's um, yeah. yes. It's um... Tim. <laughs> Look, okay, so yeah, I, Tim is going to be modest here, okay, but Tim has for every issue that we've ever done and even most, of, I believe almost all of resonant and probably almost all of vault titles. He has helped design the cover before the artist drew the cover. So he will give Damn. you a mock-up of what the cover should look like. And then the artist gets to draw that, or he gives them a couple options or the artist gives him a couple options. And he chooses his hand, Tim's hands, Are on every single part of this book, like the cover design, he, the (laughs) interior letter, the the title page, that's Tim's design, you know, everything, every the back inside cover, that'll be Tim's too, you know. So, (laughs) when you have someone whose strength is visual, I I stay as (laughs) far out of the way as possible. I tried to come up with one cover. For resonant you can see it some places because it was solicited but it was not the cover that came out on that <laughs> issue because my idea was so stupid that it was impossible for an artist to draw it correctly oh, so geez. yeah so i say tim what is it is it good tim and he says yes and i say yes it's good and that's that's the end of all visual discussions
0: um, i'll say this one we we are working on uh, a third book and it is, you know, it is in, it is in production. It's, it's going to be published. And, um, DB chose the artist. It, this artist was at the top of DB's list. Um, a short list, and it is an absolute jackpot, absolute jackpot. of oh, a wow. choice. And I, it, it has been an absolute, just Pleasure. To be working with someone so talented um, that just articulates everything and is open to ideas and art direction and sees it immediately. So
3: that's it, that's true. I, I will pat I will pat myself on the back for one thing. There we go. I I can pick artists. Nice. I can tell immediately uh, if that artist is going to be good or not. And and that went back to uh, Heathen uh with Natasha Alterizi, The I introduced that book to Tim and I said, "Look, when it when just like the first issue was out and you know, I was following Natasha, she was like one of the first people I followed on Twitter like 11 years ago before hmm. he didn't even came out and she started drawing a comic and I said that's going to be huge. Someone's going to someone's going to pick that up and that's going to be super popular." So, I can do that, but I can't I can't tell you what a cover should look like. I can't tell you what a logo should look like. Uh don't ask me any of those particular questions.
2: Well well, you talk about covers, and I'm looking at the cover of uh, you know, the A cover of Morningstar, and this is something that grabbed me early on, too, that I really love because there's there's a there's a simplicity to it where you've got you know just the outline of the letters in Morningstar, and you've got this this beautiful starry sky in the background. But what I love is you have the Mad Cave uh, logo, ten year anniversary little banner there, but it's the little box underneath it, where it's not your traditional. It's sort of traditional in the sense where you've got that sort of just that rectangular box on the corner that you see with most Marvel comics, right? But well, you just have this character holding an axe, and then just a nice bold letter one. It's it's very simple, but it stands out, yeah. and I love mm-hmm. it. I think. Who, it lo- and then with your who name, who did that?
3: Sort of, yeah. Who did that, Tim? Yeah.
2: Who designed that?
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, well, Marco
0: drew Jolene. Uh, <laughs>
3: yeah, the other reason our writing partnership works pretty well is we don't have ego about this. Yeah, stuff. like if Tim comes up with a better idea, I'm like, shit, that's a better idea. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm gonna steal that, and then I'll get credit for it. You know? Yeah, it's a very <laughs>
2: clean. It's a very clean look. I love it, and it's it pops to the orange and the and the and the, the the coloring on on the cover and in the issue in general. It's just fantastic. Yeah,
3: it really is. Yeah. Can we talk about the brilliance of Jason Wordy for a little bit? That's what I was gonna
1: ask about next, because as much as we're we're given all this credit to Marco, and deservedly so, like Jason's colors for me, and I've I've been on this kick for the past, I don't know, year and a half, maybe two where it's just like I'm starting to appreciate the colors more and more because they're just I'm I'm experiencing more stories where it's like that is what transcends things for me a little bit. Now I'm like I feel more in this world, like Line artists get all the hype and don't get me wrong. They, they to some extent they deserve it. But from a, like the story, the colors are, are, can really make or break it more than anything else. Um, So yeah, I mean like he gets you those 50 vibes that we're talking about. How did he come into the mix? Well, you know, go back to resonant. Cause that's where I, that's where I first
3: met Jason. And again, I was as a, as a reader and a writer, you know, color. I didn't think that much about it. Right. Um, And I would get the inked pages in for resonant and then get the colored pages. And if you go back and look to like, especially at the first issue where there's huge expanses of sky and like, and, and, and trees and stuff, there's just lines. And then the, everything is wordy on those pages. Like it's all him. It's all him creating that art, creating that, that skyscape, creating the landscape, creating the, the colors in the ground. And then when, you know, in Resonant, when the waves would hit, those colors mm. would shift to these reds and yellows and harsh colors. And the dude is just a genius. I mean, there's there may be colorists as good as him, but there is no colorist better than him. Like he should have won multiple Eisners already. I will go to my grave saying that, that he should have won for Resonant. You know, regardless of the story, whatever, the color on that is you should buy that book for the color. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so he just came in and said, I want to do this cool thing with this because he saw the time period. He saw Marco's art and and he's like, I want to do kind of a time appropriate coloring style for it. So he's doing like this fake offset printing where sometimes it looks like the printing press missed
1: just yeah. slightly
3: off the page. That's just him. That's wow. just him doing stuff. And that, that guy is just a straight genius. So like, yeah, you look through this book and that really enhances, I think, the feel of I picked this book up and it's an actual, it's an actual book from the 1950s that somehow has been transported to 2024 Hmm. he is just really doing the the dot colors and this offset printing and like even when things get a little wild in the book like when things get intense it's almost like the printing press is shaking because the colors are even missing a little bit more it's like the stuff he's doing is so cool in this book
2: well, yeah. well that's the thing about a great colorist too. It's like, you know, you guys, your job is to, to to either narrate or through character dialogue sort of give us a feeling of what the mood is and how characters are feeling. But a lot of times the colorist without any words can 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 do that for you, can can evoke emotions of, of, of anger or sadness or fear. And and that's that's you know what you know Nikki was talking about. Like we really because I think it's easy, like when you say artist, you just assume this person is doing everything, but when you really break it down, no, this person's doing the line art, this one's maybe doing ink, so this one's doing pencils, and it's the coloring, you know, that can really pop and stand out. And so we've really come to love and appreciate uh, the colorists because they can really alter the dynamic of a book uh, greatly.
0: Yeah, there's, there's no question about that, too, and you've made a great observation there, right? When you think about – you know, when you think about uh, – characters and how they appear to us it's often incumbent upon the artist to give us the gesture and expression however what you said about jason's work and and a good colors they're going to bring shades they're going to be doing a lot of acting yeah. and and wordy is wordy has an extraordinary range of acting he doesn't play himself every time if you look at resonant and then you look you know there's textures and noise and and chaos if you look at morningstar you can see another performance by jason murdy giving performance to the characters of morningstar and that comes through the half tones as db was saying the offset the restricted color palette the clashing colors and as the series goes on you're going to see a bit more of that and ultimately what it does is you know we've got a we've got a character in the story young charlie and and those Those pulps and comics are very important to Charlie. And what I think what Jason has done is like made us feel like Charlie made us you know, by picking up Morningstar, we get to be Charlie. How far are we we willing to go with our imagination? uh, As are we going to be able to go as far with our own imagination as a reader, as Charlie's going to be capable or not in this story. So Wordy's. Invaluable, and yes, he should have already won multiple Eisners. I love that you bring up Charlie
2: because he is the character that I was most fascinated about. Um, you know, in, in this first issue, because we we get introduced to <laughs> what's with these lot- evil
1: snickering here? What's going on
2: over <laughs> here? <laughs> we know things that you don't know. Uh, yeah, well, no, yeah, so, so before you know, one of the questions we like to ask is sort of what was your favorite character to to write, or or that you think you know that readers will, will come to like. But I want to I want to touch on Charlie first before anything else, because he, Charlie doesn't say a whole you know heck of a lot, and he comes off as a very shy. Uh, character, you don't know if there's maybe something in his backstory that maybe that's why he's shy or why they're so, uh, why his mother and sister are very protective of him, but he's got this vivid imagination. I feel like, I feel like Charlie's maybe a manifestation of, you know, someone's childhood. Uh, but what can you tell us about Charlie? What can we expect from him? Because he is, he's very. <laughs> very present at the end and the last page of this book that, that this is going to go in wild places. And I just, I just need to know more uh, about
0: Charlie.
2: Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 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 It tells me everything. (laughs)
0: Uh, um... Oh man. Uh, He's just not a quiet
2: kid. That is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's going to be very quiet for a while.
0: (laughs) Oh no. Yes. Yeah. Here's the thing about Charlie. And here's the thing about Morningstar in general. Maybe this will help. DB and I actually already talked about this a bit um, because people have already reacted to Charlie pretty strongly and positively. The thing about Morningstar is this is a book uh, about the absence of people as much as it is their presence. So you can be absent, but wholly influential, wholly impactful. And... Both Nathan, who is dead and did die in that fire, as the synopsis tells you right up, you know, right up front, he's more present in death than he might have been in life. Charlie might share a similar um, trajectory as his father. Yeah but but don't ever think for a minute. You, there, there'll come a point where you
3: get so much Charlie. Yeah. A lot of Charlie. (laughs) You're you're, you're forced ghosting Charlie is what you're telling me. (laughs) Charlie Charlie is present in pretty much every page. Okay. Even if you don't see him. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. So there is, I mean, come on, there's a little mystery. There's a little, there's a little uh, unknown with this book. So. Yeah, of course.
1: As we, we want to confuse people just a little <laughs> bit. Okay, good. You've done you have done that with us. It, but you know, a character who isn't confusing at all that I haven't actually seen yet, uh, is a certain grandmother who gets mentioned here and there throughout this first issue. And already we know like she is a real friggin' piece of work. I mean Jenna's a <laughs> Jenna's there. Right, yeah, really yeah, the exactly. New Year's Eve. <laughs> uh Jenna's uh Jenna's rough too, but I mean we all know where she's getting it from. And I am just curious. Like she feel like you talk about how like your her presence is felt, but she's also not there. Is this yeah. a character who I, I'm assuming we're, we're gonna hear more about her, but is this a character we're actually gonna get to meet in any capacity? I I,
0: I mean DB correct me if I'm wrong, but I think of Jenna and her mother you know, Jolene's sister and mother—they're um, <clears throat> East Coast, right? And Montana in the 1950s—I mean, I moved here 20 years ago, and Montana felt like it was some weird dream coming from California, right? It, it was—it was like some weird. I, I've talked to other people, you know, and they'll ask me like, Montana, w- w- like, is that like trees and shit, and like, <laughs> feels like a dream. You know, in, in many ways, like it's some other place. Um, sometimes my parents have asked me if we get the same TV so I can watch the 49ers here. <laughs> get the same TV. Uh, my point. Yeah, My point. I, I think, you know, <laughs> I think Jenna and her mom being East Coast, being being old East Coast, being coming from money and means. And that is not something Jolene's wholly interested in, in the life she has with Nathan. And so and it,
3: it, it speaks to her her character of independence too, and mm. and so it was more to shape your guys's perspective of her of her character. It's like she, even without a you know this is nineteen fifties right, even without a traditional household anymore, without a husband, she's going to take care of herself. She doesn't need to run back home to family. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, think of this kind of like a bottle episode of x-files you know there's very few characters in in isolation and some of the horror and, and scares comes from the fact that there is no help and there's no one around there's no um no one's coming to save them no matter what happens
1: gotcha okay yeah I, I, and that's definitely accomplished too i i, I mean it's, it's clear as day like jolene jolene's like like. Obviously, she misses her husband, but she's also very much like, I don't need no man. I don't need anybody <laughs> fucking taking care of me. I mean, she says as much in, in the issue, just in some capacity. Um, but at the same time, I, I had to know because that grandmother is like, just, oh, God. Like, I just, she felt a little too real for me. We'll just do it that way. <laughs> um, but we've talked about Jolene. We've mentioned Maribeth, obviously Jenna. Um, and then, of course, Charlie. And I, I know you guys have talked about Charlie at length, and now to some extent, Jolene as well which character and i'll throw this first at you db which character are you most excited for readers to get to know assuming it's maybe outside of charlie i'm assuming he's number one for both of you
3: well i uh, i think charlie um is kind of the most like me i would say um like like i feel the most connected like that was me as a kid too you know i was just be quiet and by myself and 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 play with stuff you know i didn't need a lot of friends and stuff but i love right i love writing marabeth just like i loved writing beck in resident i really i really love this kind of early teenage transitional period in someone's life where they can have a foot in both worlds she could be a bratty little kid and then also being expected to act almost like an adult and Mm -hmm. and i really i'm for some reason i'm just drawn to that time period, you know, and she's about the same age A's as Beck was in, in resident and Beck really more than I knew took over that book and took and, and forced herself upon me as a <laughs> character that sure. is going to be the most important character, you know, and, th- and by the end, the only one I wanted to write and the only one I, I cared about, you know? Um, and so Meribeth has a little bit of that same quality and she has some nice flashbacks and stuff that we get, that I get to do. Um, so you get to see her interactions with her father uh, that, that I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed writing. That was probably some of my favorite stuff to write um, was those family, getting some of those family moments and seeing, yeah, that's... seeing like the quality of Nathan as a person and how yeah. that reflected on, on how his kids came out.
0: That's a great, I mean, DB, I just wanted to say, that's a great point because, you know, you don't really think of the family unit as a character. They are like that dynamic in, in total, Hmm. right. um, Is a character in my head. And I think that's one of the greatest things about the most successful entertainment from my childhood, you know, which, which as you can tell by the color of my beard, I I watched some Spielberg, you know, (laughs) uh, in the theater. And so, you know, like having those, having those family ensembles, whether it's E.T. or Poltergeist, where you get to see each member of the family just having a moment. And that scene in particular that, that comes a bit later that, that DB's referencing between Maribeth and Nathan is one of the best, most genuine things I've ever experienced in, in writing creatively. It, getting to read that scene and see it um it just really hits at the heart of this story whereas it's a genre right it's it's a genre tale but it's really a family drama that holds it in place and that lets you believe in things like well et or ghosts down the hallway right or or a killer shark or whatever the case may be so the family i'm going to throw that out as my my character of choice Yeah.
2: Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm. gonna piggyback off that with With a two-parter here. One, uh, you, speaking of you know future you know issues. How many issues do you have planned for Morningstar? And also, do you have multiple arcs planned? And to follow that up with, whose DMs do I slide in to get those advanced copies? <laughs> <laughs>
1: man never stops
2: no no i i am i'm, I'm just I'm we'll be more go.
3: more than happy to send you all the oh, no, copies. No, no. oh you've
1: created a monster no, no, no. i have no
3: i have no problem with uh doing that
1: uh we're gonna sorry. have more freaking more uh, uh physical therapists on the show geez i didn't know that they were this friendly <laughs> i'm starting to see the difference between the two right chiropractors are everybody. so bossy they yeah very yeah. angry yes they're very like laid out down your relationship yeah my goodness
3: you down are- you <laughs> relax relax when i tell you to relax <laughs> yeah uh, uh morning stars five issues and, and um it's wrapped up and actually it's all pretty much done um so there will unless there's outside forces there's going to be thankfully no delays in getting it on shelves monthly once it comes out in uh march so uh no second arc plan this is a as far as we know, right now, a one and done. Um, uh, we'll never say no, although. Sure. <laughs> but you guys
2: the- do have other books, as you've mentioned, planned for 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 the future.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, a lot.
0: Yes, a lot. We we have currently at at, at present five, six, and five that are currently under I might- contract that are yeah that are under contract that are yeah. in development that are that are you know things things are being worked on wow um and then we have several ready right behind that that i ready to get to and db and i that's what we spent most of our weekend this past week talking about is those next ones now uh,
2: will those mostly be with mad cave or i know you guys have a relationship with vaults will we see those just wherever they land
1: yeah. <laughs> That's fair.
3: Whoever, look, I will dance with any girl at the dance. So, <laughs> you come up to me. Come on, let's boogie. Uh, I think that
0: like I think that was part of our object objective when we started working together, which is just like, you know, I'd spent already 5 6 years starting up Vault, you know, and being there from the get-go and being a partner and, you know, you, you put all your hopes and eggs in one basket and it might not be the most professionally responsible thing to do mm. like if if i really want to tell stories then i should go where those opportunities are and i shouldn't feel as if um you know i i never want to take a, a, a schedule slot from a creative team at vault i you know i don't want preferential treatment because i work there right i i want to earn it I want to. I want um, it. To I'll, I'll take the
3: preferential treatment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. He will dance with anybody. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know, so yeah, we're gonna go everywhere and anywhere, and we have.
1: So and I and I, that's paid off uh, quite nicely.
0: Nice. I'd love to see them
2: write a book at AWA, Nicholas.
1: Yeah, I think they could do some really good some damage over there. That's for damn sure. We we talk with them uh, quite a bit as well. That's, so a, that's right.
3: That, that yeah, that's a book. I I enjoy the stuff they put out, and I don't have any. I've never. Talk to anybody from that company. So that'd be yeah, Tim's Tim's my in. I don't have to do anything because again, he creates logos and does work for everybody. And then he just kind of goes, Hey, I did this logo, and oops, I dropped my pitch on you. <laughs> oh my goodness. And his, you know, his bosoms are coming out. He's like, Oh, whoa, it's here's, me. here's hey. this, here's this pitch I've given you. So like I again, the The tailcoats that I'm riding on are wide and comfortable. Has like adjustable seating. I got a little heater. It's all
1: good. So all I got to do is keep my head down and write. (laughs) That's that's, well. The part of the reason that uh, we we asked that question about Mad Cave is just while we've interviewed creators who are doing work with Mad Cave, we've more so heard about how positive the experience has been with them behind the scenes from conversations we have outside of our recordings. And it just seems like there are people who we've, we've heard about that are going to have stuff coming out with them that haven't done it yet, but it's just, it all seems very positive what's coming out of there. So they're, they're amazing from the top down from Mark Lennon top
3: down. I got to talk to Mark at, I think it was at New York comic-con and spent, you know, 30, 45 minutes talking to him, just the nicest guy. And just, really just wants to make good comics and 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 that's his you know focus he's like i want to you know what he's just he's a storyteller too he writes so he understands it from that point of view and he knows and he started kind of like i started by self-publishing and so he knows that struggle all the way through and so he's super supportive everybody from him down has been great their um publicity team has been amazing They are super proactive, really excited about the book. When we had a meeting with them, they all had read the scripts. And I'm like, what? You guys are like, read us. I mean, that's That's insane. So like they have really been amazing to work with and and professional from the top from the top down.
0: Yeah, we've been, you know, just to speak to that real quickly, that that has been one of the greatest joys, I think um, over the last, you know, over the last four years for sure. And certainly in my own personal career, it's just finding a place like Mad Cave where that focus is strong, um, really strong, really united. Um, everybody kind of rowing in the same direction and doing their, their part really well. Um, you know, I can kind of see the differences. I can, I can, I can, I have a sense of you know, I can judge that against what, what I do at Vault and, and how do I perform in my role. And so I'm able to look at that and say, Wow, you know, there's things I can learn from here. And um, that has definitely been true. And I think overall, you know, where you asked like, well, where will we go with our books, you know, in the future, places like that, places that have that strict focus, places that are dedicated to, you know, telling stories and getting books to the shelves, that's all I want. And so I, I hope you know. I hope our books books find those places.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the most like illuminated things I could say is that again, all five issues of Morningstar are done, and mm-hmm. the first issue hasn't come out yet, and and, I, and not very many companies are willing to have that that production schedule like that, where you're not making money on the book, but you put all the money into the book already. Right. So they they yeah, they put. Everything's, I mean, I think, what wordy's on coloring issue four or five? I think he's like, he, or he might be done completely, and it's just getting lettered. I don't know, but the art has been done for a really long time. We, you know, are getting deep into the next project, and again, nice. that's not going to be announced for who knows how long, uh, because they're willing to take the time to make sure that a no one's feeling rushed no one's feeling you know having to pull all-nighters their their uh, staff works eight to six and then they go home and they don't you know james emmett our editor i wish he would get some sleep because he will be (laughs) emailing us at three o'clock in the morning but their actual staff you know works regular hours and you know as someone at image you know who does production or publication, you know what their hours are like, and uh, so it's been really a a nice like experience to know that hey, if someone gets sick, the book is going to be fine, you know. Yeah. Or if someone, you know, has financial issues and has to take a break and work another job for a little while, you know, all this stuff has happened on previous books that I've worked on, and you know, it's taken an extra six months for that book to come out, or extra year for that book to come out. Um, So it's really nice to know that this thing's going to hit the shelves and you're not going to have that like, oh, when's when's Morningstar 2 coming out? Did did I miss it? Did I? Oh, man, well, just forget it, you know, and you kind of lose readers that way. There's going to be none of that. It's going to be one, two, three, four, five and trade and ready to go.
1: Well, if that wasn't a reason enough to check out Mad Cave more, I mean, my goodness, that is the kind of stuff we want here. Prioritizing good storytelling, taking care of the creators, taking care of the staff. That's awesome stuff. And on top of that, we're getting some amazing stories like Devil That Wears My Face, Charred Remains, and now morning star from Tim Daniel and D B Andrew. Guys, if you are listening to the end of this episode and you haven't called or gone to your local comic shop, the FOC's on on February twenty fifth. What the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Don't do that life? now. Unbelievable. But Tim, D B, thank you much for, so much for taking the time to chat with us. Hopefully we can catch up with the two of you again. Maybe when that next title gets announced, some point down the line.
3: Yeah, it's it's gonna be a uh crushing good time. Oh. like yeah. Nick's just like I'm out. All right, we're yeah. done.